Welcome to another episode of NAI Global's Diving Into Commercial Real Estate. Today's episode is a special recap from NAI Global's Leadership Summit, hosted on March 4th through the 6th. And I'm fortunate enough to be joined with Cliff Moskowitz, Executive Vice President of North America for NAI Global, and Bruce Grant, Director of Sponsorships here at NAI Global. Welcome, Cliff. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks for having us, Simon. Yes, thanks, Simon. So let's jump right into it, guys. Want to know what were some of the takeaways, highlights? I'll start the question over to to Cliff. I think my biggest takeaway this year um, is just the continued growth and strength of NAI Global and its uh, affiliates, um, both in terms of participation, but really more importantly, in terms of uh, the deal flow that's going on between the firms and the uh, shared ideas and cooperation uh, that we see going on between the firms. Yeah, so it's great to see year over year an, an increase in attendance and the interaction between the NAI offices. So great, great point. Let me shift gears over to, to Bruce. Tell us a little bit about technology and it, its relationship to the the sponsors that were there because technology is a is a is a big big facet of our business hot topic right now so tell us a little more about that and those those that attended yeah happy to simon uh we had a couple you know crm firms that uh joined us at specifically apto you know rethink those are some of the uh bigger commercial uh, crm platforms out there that our that our firms are, are adopting pretty heavily. Um, CoStar, you know, the kind of the big name in the room that everybody um, you know likes to bring up. You know, they joined us as well. Um, a kind of a new player in the um, commercial real estate space is Commission Track, and they essentially are a commission tracking software, and they help you know brokerages uh, you know pay their commissions in a timely manner. So it kind of takes a little away from the admin professionals, and you know, kind of speeds up speeds up uh, different processes you know in the brokerage. In the brokerage firm. Uh, another one that we had was Comstack. You know, some of you might be uh, aware of that. You know, kind of comparing different, um, you know, lease comps. Um, you know, different uh, you know, sale prices uh, across different assets. So uh, we we had a good turnout in terms of sponsors, and um, you know, I really think that, you know, our brokers and, and PDMs are really really adopting you know, the, the change that's coming into commercial real estate and, um, you know, taking advantage to, to all that they have. And this is a great point because, again, this being such a hot topic and, and firms that maybe don't have immediate access or don't even know about some of these companies that exist, it's it's important that we have the NAI offices there and, and allow them to interact and, and develop some different business strategies to implement into their business. So it's great that we had a lot of the the big players and then also newer tech companies for our offices to kind of brainstorm with and learn about. Yeah, yeah, no, um, it's, um, and I'd like to put emphasis on, you know, some of the other, um, you know, CRMs that that I mentioned earlier. Um, It's super important for, you know, your brokerage firm to, uh, engage with you know these technologies it's uh, as i said before you know things are changing and if you especially with the crm if you don't have one if you don't use one 
you know, you're kind of behind the eight ball. So um, definitely want to put emphasis on, on them joining us and being a partner with us. Um, it, it's been great for, I think, both sides. And um, we, we look forward to continuing the relationship. Perfect. All right, good. Let, let me let me ask another question for you guys. Which specific breakout session or or individual session kind of stood out to each of you? Let me start with Cliff and direct that question to you. You know, the one that I actually uh, feel is the best is um, uh, one that we've been a ha- one a session that we've had going on for uh, the last. I think this is our third year doing it. It's called the NAI PDM Mastermind Group, led by Jeff Beals, and uh, it it seems the group is really coming together and um, uh, collaborating, and they're sharing uh, some ideas, best practices, market insights, and kind of developing a strategy. Um, both for NAI Global, but also their own firms going forward. And some of the hot topics this year were succession planning. Um, there was a discussion about recruiting, uh, commission sharing, uh, a big section on new business development, and uh, also some discussion on pooling resources between firms um, for some of the smaller firms to leverage some of the larger firms and their resources to maybe um, provide more services to their clients or go after larger accounts. Uh, so, so those were uh, some some good topics that I saw in discussions this year. Great, yeah, and I'll I'll also ask that same question to you, Bruce. Was there a, a, a highlight or a specific session that stood out for you? Yeah, for me, it was uh, actually one of our sponsors that spoke during a leadership called Valuation Alliance. Um, it's essentially, you know, the topic of conversation and what they do is, you know, kind of you built this brokerage from, you know, ground up over, you know, X amount of years. And now you're kind of looking to transition into maybe retirement or kind of pass it on to, to you know, uh, family members or just, you know, sell your business. So your question is kind of what is this all worth? Um, and it's, you know, a variety of different factors that go into coming to, you know, a, a number in terms of you know what you'd get for you know the sale of your business, but um, I thought that was very very you know appealing to our to our PDMs because um, you know the, the demographic of the group is you know uh, I would say they're you know a little bit older and you know are definitely thinking about these things you know as Cliff mentioned with succession planning, and um, it was the first time we really had somebody come in that can provide you know that type of insight into you know the different metrics that go into you know what your business is worth and you know what for one instance was you know if you're a top producer in your firm and also the pdm of the firm you know if you decide to transition out of your firm and as well as sell kind of what that does to you know your bottom line and what your your business is actually worth um once you decide to leave so um it was very interesting um, the gentlemen, uh, Fred Schmidt um, and Obi Wally, they were very knowledgeable in terms of, you know, valuing, valuing different, um, you know, brokerage firms, and they have done so uh, for uh, for quite some time now. So uh, I thought that was, you know, for me, it was one of the uh, highlights. Well, it's interesting that what you're both saying is is kind of intertwining with one another, which is, I think, an important point that when you're looking at your business not only be able to produce revenue but you, what's that what's that revenue equate to as a value wise and then also how are you setting yourself up 
for the next chapter of your business or growing your business or if you're moving towards the next stage of your career, what's your business worth and how can you pass along that book of business that some people have grown five, 10, 30 plus years. So you guys both make great points and I, I think this kind of helps to demonstrate the power of NAI Global and the ability to be able to collaborate as you both mentioned. So I appreciate you both taking the time today to give us a recap and a highlight and looking forward to having our NAI convention coming up September 9th through 11th in Las Vegas. So again, guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. No problem, Simon. In this episode, we also have a live recording from the NAI Global Summit with Terry Johnson from Capstan Tax Strategies, giving us an overview of the tax benefits from Opportunity Zones. Opportunity Zones. So this is what we read about in the Wall Street Journal. This is what every seminar is presenting on Opportunity Zones. I mean, I get a lot of your, um, you know, advertisements on, on listings and that kind of thing, and I see you all are marketing properties in the Opportunity Zones. I mean, I would think this could be huge for you guys, and you know, I'm not here to give you an in-depth presentation on Opportunity Zones. What I wanna do is just walk through from a tax perspective how we see this and how, what the opportunity is from a tax perspective. I mean, from a business perspective, you guys are all over this, I'm sure. So let's just talk a little bit from the tax piece of it. So the, the new tax law created these opportunity zones to encourage investments in low-income properties, uh, in low-income areas, and provide these tax incentives. So the idea is I expand business activity. That's going to increase employment and hopefully de decrease poverty. I mean, it, it's, it's a really cool concept. So we had the... Um, you know, all the different states and the governors put forth their, um, their the census tracts, community census tracts, and we ended up with over 8,700 um, certified zones in the U.S. Um, but here's the thing. You're not investing in the opportunity zone itself. You invest in an opportunity fund that then buys the property or assets in the opportunity zone. So what, what you're doing in essence is you're taking capital gains from other investments and you're moving those in to an opportunity fund that then can kind of gather up other investors' money and go out and, and really make a difference in these communities. So it's not just one person doing something, it is a group of investors that have capital gains. So that is a critical thing. They have to, the, the investment in order, it's not that you couldn't do it, but in order to get the tax benefits, you have to invest capital gains into an opportunity fund. And we're seeing opportunity funds could be Morgan Stanley, you know, has an opportunity fund and I wanna kinda hedge my risk and I'm just gonna invest my capital gains in some brokerage opportunity fund. Or you know, I get a group of buddies together and we create an opportunity fund with our favorite lawyer and off we go. So I mean, there's a, there's a variety of ways you can do this as far from a risk perspective. So let's kind of step through from a tax perspective what's happening. Yeah. What you're saying is that you can't just rely on 
Yeah, it would just be a, a real estate deal that you would be basing your decision based on the merits of the deal. It would, you wouldn't get any of these tax benefits. I think this is huge to understand, because I think there's all, I, not NAI, but there was another real estate brokerage firm that put out an email that I get, I'm on their list, and it said, invest in opportunity zones, you don't have to pay taxes. And I was like, and I actually know the guy that owns the company, and I emailed him, I'm like, I'd be happy to talk with you about this, but I wouldn't be sending this out. And, you know, or I can introduce you to some people that can help you with this. And he was very appreciative. But I, you got to be a little bit careful um, for just that reason. So what's happening with this is on the, on the front end, I'm getting a temporary tax deferral of my capital gain, the tax on my capital gains. All right. So I am going to have that deferred until I sell the property exchange it, or December 31st, 2026, whichever comes first. So pay date is 12-31-26, regardless, or if I sell it before that. And what's gonna happen on that date is I actually have to pay my capital gains. But they give us this little, little uh, I don't know, incentive to hold onto the property for a while with a step up in basis. So they're saying if you own this property for at least five years, you get basically 10% of your gain you don't have to pay. If I hold that property for seven years, I get another 5%. Now I'm at 15%. So then I'm, when, I, when payday comes to Uncle Sam, I'm paying 85% of my tax burden on that original capital gain, not 100%. So it's a little bit of a, a give me, but it's not huge. And then what happens on the end of this is that you have a permanent exclusion for taxable income on your capital gains from the sale or exchange of the investment in the fund. But keep in mind, this only is applying to the subsequent gains from the investment. It's not the front-end investment. But I get, a, I, I get this really nice tax incentive on the back end if I hold the property for at least 10 years. Now, let's all be honest. A bad real estate deal is a bad real estate deal, right? So let's say I get all excited and I invest in this and I have no appreciation at all. And, and really the, the best part of this is that back end piece and I've held my money for 10 years and you know maybe I'm not you know, it's just a bad real estate deal. So you've got to, you still have to have a good real estate deal for this to make sense, okay? This is really hard to read. And I have another version of this that's vertical that is much easier to read in the, in the handouts that I have. But I just kind of, I put this timeline together because I thought it might be helpful just to walk through the pieces of this. So the first thing I do is I realize my capital gain that could come from a lot of different sources. All right, and I have 180 days to invest that capital gain, okay? And then I invest into an opportunity fund, and then the opportunity fund goes into the opportunity zone, and, and it doesn't have to just be real estate. It could be stock and a company, a partnership interest, but the, basically a substantial amount of the business has to be in the, in the opportunity zone. And there's more coming on this because let's say that I buy stock in a company that's located there, but their business is 
worldwide. So I think there's some questions that we haven't gotten answers to yet that we're waiting to hear what shakes out with that. Um, and then the other thing is you have to, the investment with the Opportunity Fund, if you're buying a property, has to be an unrelated party. And that's really important. So let's say I own a, I own a property in the Opportunity Zone and I want to put it in the fund. I can't just do that. I could sell my property into the Opportunity Fund, but I can't have a, and maybe I take my capital gains from that sale and invest it, but I can't own more than 20% because then uh, it has to be under 20% because if, then I run into the related party rules. So I think there are people out there that think, oh, I have something in the Opportunity Zone and I could just, you know, create a fund and put this in there. And you also can't, let's say I have that property and I put an opportunity fund together and I say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna contribute my property into the opportunity zone instead of cash, my capital gain. And I mean, I've got the capital gain, but instead of giving them the money, I'm gonna give them the property. We can't do that either. All right, so that's just some nuances. And then I have, one of the things that you do is the property either has to be original use or it can be a used property. Now we're going into some low income areas and most of these properties are not that nice. So what it says is that I have to invest at least the amount of, my, of the basis in the building, reinvest and double that. It has to be equal. So let's take a simple example. I buy a property in an through the fund for a million dollars. 20% is my land allocation. Remember all my slides, land allocation isn't part of the depreciable basis, it's over to the side. So I have $800,000 left. You with me? Okay, so you've got to invest at least another 800,000 into that property. These guys, they're looking for us to invest and make these areas nicer. I mean, that's really the bottom line, okay? so. You can't just buy a property through a fund and opportunity zone and, oh, I'm in business. You have to then equal the investment depreciable basis without the land. I think it's a really important point. You don't have to do that if it's new property, though. Let's say you buy a brand new property that's never been in service. That would be a different scenario. So then you're going to have this tax deferral for a while. And we talked about the 10% tax reduction and then the 15% tax, so five and seven years, you guys were, then the next piece is my pay date to the IRS, which is 12-31-2026, or if I sell or exchange it before that. And then the last piece is this permanent exemption. So that's kind of from a tax perspective how these deals work. I wanted to, um, Jay and I spent some time on the phone talking about um, opportunity zones. I had a, maybe two slides on this and he wanted me to beef it up a little bit for you guys. And one of the things he asked me to do was to kind of go through some positive scenarios and maybe not such good investment scenarios. So this is a positive uh, example of something that works. So let's say we have a low-income housing de developer, which by the way are well positioned because they buy in these neighborhoods all the time anyway, these low-income housing tax credit guys, they're all over this from day one. So let's say they set up an opportunity fund that includes a group of partners. They, they go out, they, they reinvest their capital gains into the opportunity fund, they find a premium location, it's exactly what they're looking for, 
for $800,000, which 400 is land, 400 are these dilapidated buildings. So they are gonna build a six building residential property and they're gonna invest $5 million of capital gains that are deployed through the fund. So obviously they're well above the 400,000 reinvestment, but here's the catch. They've got to get this project finished in 30 months. And so you've gotta be pretty buttoned up to make that happen. That's the whole, I mean, from start to finish, 30 months. And what we're waiting to hear is some kind of safe harbor or some additional information about what happens if there's a delay out of our control and you know something happens or there's a major weather event or so, and you don't make that. Because we don't have any guidance on that yet, so we're still waiting to hear on that because I think that could be some risk. Now let's go to the not qualify. So let's say the Opportunity Fund decides it wants to invest in some riskier businesses that are sure thing in the Opportunity Zone. You know, we've got a massage parlor, a liquor store, racetrack. These are SIN businesses that are specifically mentioned in the regulations that they're not allowed. And Jay asked me before I spoke to please let you know that he made some comment yesterday that you could do these investments and he asked me to let you know that this was correct this way, okay? Well, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> he told me just to tell you that. I'm like, I said, I'm not gonna throw him in front of the bus. Um, another thing that could easily happen, you're sitting around the dinner room dining room table with your friends and family, and you wanna invest, get this fund together, everybody's all excited, this is a great idea, and you got your capital gains going, they put money in there, what if their money isn't from capital gains. They get no benefit, and you're the guy that's putting this all together, and you didn't realize that you made a mistake on that, and so all this money starts flowing in, and they don't get any of the, of the benefits. That would be a problem. Now, if you, um, the, the next thing was, that we talked a little bit about, is if you buy a property in an opportunity zone without investing through an opportunity fund. I could see that happening. You go out and you buy it, and then you're like, okay, and then you realize that you have to have an opportunity fund. There is a fix. You could sell your building to a fund, contribute your capital gain to the fund, but you have to make sure your share is diluted and is less than 20% so you don't run into the related party rules. Okay, so there's a way to fix that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a, it's a self-certification, and they have like these tests, 90, I didn't get into all those details, but yeah, it is a self-policing situation. Good point, thank you. Question? Yes. In your first example, you talked about an $800,000 project, you needed another $5 million. No, it didn't need it, they just decided to do that. That was, that was voluntary. Right, well there's, and that goes back to this testing and self-certification that you basically are required to, a substantial amount of that fund needs to be deployed, and if you don't, there's some, so that gets into all this legal stuff, but that's the kind of question that you need to make sure when you're putting a fund together and identifying, you probably are gonna wanna, I mean it has to be, they use the word substantial. But again, 
some of these things are so great, we don't really necessarily have the exact answer to that question, you know, yet. And hopefully it's coming. I mean, we, they have told us a much more um, commentary and guidance is coming on this. I think of everything in the tax law, this has gotten the most attention and from the investment community, and, and it needs probably the most build out, if you will, of what exact, and you know what I worry about? Let's say that I wait till 2020 to make my investment, right? And then I'm starting to lose some of the benefits because I don't, remember the five and seven year times, so you're the tax deferral, you have to pay on 12, 31, 26. So there's some things like that too that you just have to be careful about. Yeah. The 90% tax. Right. You have to deploy. Well, you have 30 months, so you could sit on it, but you do have this, and I'm not an expert, I will tell you, in the self-certification and the 90% testing. I mean, it's, and I will tell you, I have a, a um, and I'm out of time, but the, um, I have a CPA firm that put together a guide, and I have, I think I brought about 10 copies, and I can also email you the link, and it gets into all that, the detail of it. If you really are interested in more detail, I'm right out there afterwards. I'll be happy to share that, okay? But I'm out of time, and it was super fun to be with you guys today. And here, again, is, is if you want the handouts, I'm happy to send them to you when I get back to the office on Thursday. And um, I think we're done. And if anyone would like to find out more about NAI Global and how to become a new office with NAI Global, please email us at help at naiglobal.com or call us at 609-945-4047. Thank you for listening.